like Vasquez said in Aliens, let's rock. If you're new to the tribe, we've got Rich behind the mix. Rad is across the table. And my name is Yanni Bormeister. We are Unity Gym, experts at turning driven people into athletes. This episode is brought to you by the Unify Movement System, the online program that balances strength, flexibility, and fitness so you can unleash your inner athlete. Get daily coaching by us plus our our epic gym and home workout programs. As a valued listener, use the link in the description to get your first month free. Before we get started, big warm welcome. If you are watching on our YouTube channel, remember to hit that like button to support the channel and subscribe if you like what you see. The more likes, the more people get to see this fantastic content. I'm excited to announce that joining us today, we have Phil White from ADPT Physio and Tony Bataji from TonyBataji.com. How are you guys? Great, great. I'm very excited to have Tony here with us. How are you, Tony? I'm really well. How are you guys doing? Yeah, really well, really well. Excited for this show. Um, I'm going to give Tony a little bit of an intro here. Tony started working in the fitness industry in 1995, first as a personal trainer and sports coach, and then moved into roles that included education, academia, and strength coaching. So these days, Tony splits his time evenly between coaching one-on-one in the gym and running educational courses on many topics to do with training, program design, and body composition. He holds a PhD in sports science and has written more than 65,000 training programs and coached elite athletes in around 30 different sports. Now, for Yanni and me, our introduction to you, Tony, I can't remember if it was 2004 or 2005, but you were the programming coach for our uh, Cert for in personal training at the AAF. Is that is that right, Tony? Am I remember Am I remembering that right? That that certainly rings a bell. We're we're dating back now, 15, 16 years, but yeah. in the early 2000s, I was one of the lecturers for. Certificate three and four and diploma, which at that time was, I think, Australian Fitness Network, and then in time became AIF. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And one of my first memories of you was when we were, remember at the uh, Australian Institute of Fitness there, they had that little gym, you know, where we did the, you know, the practical stuff. And they invited yeah. us to come and do a workout before the uh, lectures if we wanted to. And Yanni and one of the guys from our course were doing a workout. <laughs> And Yanni was right into bodybuilding back then and he had his gym gloves on. And I remember sitting there and doing a little bit of training with him. And uh, as you walked in, you said to Yanni, "Uh, nice gloves, Yanni. And Yanni said, oh, yeah, thanks, Tony. They're really good. And you said, "Uh, do they come in pink? And uh, Yanni Yanni turned red like a beetroot. And needless to say, that was the last day that Yanni ever wore uh, gloves in a gym. The last day I ever wore gym gloves. I remember it clearly. Uh, now yeah, to- I was. I had a patronising sense of humour in my younger years. That's for sure. <laughs> well, it worked. It worked because we now no longer allow gloves in our gym, and people get named and shamed when they wear them as well. So. <laughs> your your, your patronising <laughs> attitude is carried forth into the future. <laughs> now, listen. Um, for anybody that, uh, that that wants to know a little bit more, over the years, I have uh, Yanni and myself and Richard have all done several of, of Tony's BFI, uh, Bataji Fitness Institute courses. I've personally done uh, le- BFI level one twice, BFI level two, I think twice, and BFI level three. Um, we did that one, um, BFI level three is, is always a little bit different to my understanding, Tony. And the one that, that I remember doing was with um, Professor John Hawley and Louise Burke. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a really good mm-hmm. one. And um, I, I, needless to say, the education that we've all had from you 
has been has really shaped the unified movement system that we teach at Unity Gym. It is, uh, it really has. It, it's been a cornerstone of the programming uh, principles and programming design that we use uh, throughout our business. And anybody that's interested, make sure you go and check out TonyBataji.com. But over the years and over the courses, I went from debating my opinion with you to just shutting up because I really <laughs> learned very quickly that I could never win a debate because you'd actually read all the research and I was loosely <laughs> quoting some conversation that I'd had with someone on Facebook and you used to always go, oh, well, Rad, you know, we actually know from this study. And I, I love going to a Tony Bataji workshop or course and there's always one new Rad in the, in the um, group that thinks that they can argue and debate at a high level and yeah. you just get absolutely yeah. flogged. It's always, it's always an enjoyable experience. But, but in a very, very nice way. Yeah. You know, Tony's not like Charles Pollock who very used polite. to be, where he very just polite. made you feel like crap. Yeah. He always, I, I can hear it because he said it to me so many times. He always, he never says, Rad, you're wrong. He always says, well, Rad, what we actually know from this and that study is this. And you just get very politely put in your place. So that's, uh, that's my experience over the years with Tony. And fortunately, um, you know, we have people like you, Tony, who... Uh, are objective with the information that you're giving out and are willing to share it with uh, with the world in a in a great medium like this with the podcast. So, well, thank you guys. I, it's a it's a real honor. And somebody somebody like me, I, I guess we all have our our thing and our gifts. And going through academia is one thing, but I really I, I'm a coach at heart. So I, I read the science and then I try and apply that to my clients and to the students to make sure that what is done in science actually has practice and application for our clientele. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I love well, that. Well, what we've done, we've, we've got some really great uh, topics that our tribe uh, around the world have asked uh, for us to cover in our podcast. So Yanni, what are we going to be talking about? Yeah, today? this, this is the 2021 unity gym tribe Q and a podcast series. I couldn't <laughs> think of a more creative name. So that's what we're going with. And uh, this first, question comes in from Blakely Hernaj, who is actually one of our administrators and our, um, our admins from the UMS online coaching group and the UMS movement mastermind. So I thought I'd put one of Blakely's questions first. Blakely has asked, is cell autophagy via fasting pathways really best? Uh, he talks, he mentions here that Lane Norton suggests autophagy is a result of caloric restriction and that fasting is overrated or the fasting pathways are overrated. So this is kind of a, a, a double-edged uh, question, but it's a great one. I'm so stoked that uh, before we came on, I, I sent all the questions to Tony and said, highlight the ones you'd like to talk about the most. And when I saw this one highlighted, I was like, Josh, I did a little air punch <laughs> because Tony's got uh, a lot of insight. Uh, and, and, and you're a bit of a, uh, at least I remember a proponent of fasting. That's definitely who I, uh, learnt, uh, and, and was put on, um, to intermittent fasting and time restricted eating regimes from that's, I probably have learned the most from you or at least been sent in the direction that down that rabbit hole after hearing it from yourself. So I'm inter I'm interested to see whether you're still um, a proponent of it, and because uh, I still fast, I, I do time restricted eating um, and and one 24 hour fast every week, and uh, it makes me feel pretty good. It sort of suits my lifestyle. I'd love to hear what you guys. I know Phil's had a bit of a dabble with um, time restricted eating. Yep, have had quite a lot of experience with it, but um, have recently stopped doing it since doing half Ironman training, and it's been just an interesting sort of when you get on a certain thing where you think it's all like time restricted eating's 
the best in all situations and then you change your situation and realize that maybe there's uh times when <laughs> it's more appropriate than others so yeah mm -hmm. it's been a, a good practical lesson in uh <laughs> when it's, so what uh, about you tony are you still practicing uh time restricted eating or uh, intermittent fasting yeah not really and phil hit the nail on the head it's, it's always context driven and goal specific if you are doing an endurance sport and i'm an endurance guy myself we find it hard enough just to eat enough food to stay in energy balance because every session can be a thousand to three thousand calories in expenditure and so you can be severely in the hole when it comes to energy output versus intake and then you can't recover and then you can't train so it has a knock-on effect so the question about intermittent fasting or fasting time-restricted eating and autophagy, it's always goal specific. It's really useful to understand what autophagy is and what we know about it, especially in humans. So autophagy is just simply a cellular pathway by which we turn over damaged cells and replace them with healthy cells. And it is happening all the time. But within advancements in scientific techniques, researchers can take samples of muscle and look at the rate of cellular turnover or autophagy. And in the early studies, this was done in rodents and in animals where you could sacrifice the animal and have a look at the kidney and have a look at the spleen and the heart and so forth. In humans, we can't do that. So we tend to look at muscles and it always depends what research interest to what they find. So I have friends who do muscle autophagy and they're really interested in the effect of either mitochondria, so the powerhouse of the cell and its relationship to health and endurance activities, or myofibrillar or just pure muscle autophagy and its relationship to muscle health and muscle growth. And it always depends what you're after. And in the early studies on autophagy, it showed that you could actually upregulate this process of getting rid of damaged cells, replace it with healthy cells very quickly with fasting. But as human studies have now come out, it appears that the time difference that you see in a rodent study versus a human study is markedly different. So for a classic 12 to 24 hour fast for a mouse, it's probably three days to a week of fasting for a human. So the, the, the change that we're seeing in autophagy or the upregulation in autophagy in humans with fasting or at least time restricted eating is probably not significant. Now, when you compare that to studies that have done an exercise session, one session of exercise upregulates autophagy in the mitochondria, mitophagy, and upregulation of autophagy in skeletal muscle. So exercise is a very potent tool for getting what we want, getting rid of damaged cells and replacing them with healthy ones. So it always depends on what you're after. So I'm more in the camp of using exercise to promote health of our muscle system, as opposed to using fasting. I have one final point on that, and that is as we age, keeping our muscle and keeping our strength becomes paramount. And given that we can't store the protein that we eat, we need to eat it regularly to turn on growth pathways. It doesn't make sense to me if you're over the age of 40 to 50, to having long periods of time where you're not exposing the muscle to protein, that, that just doesn't make sense from a potential health benefit, whereas you definitely get the health benefits when you exercise. So I wouldn't use fasting or prolonged time-restricted eating if you're over the age of 45, 50. I think 
muscle strength, muscle mass is your primary goal. If you're in your 20s, then that could be something you could consider, but I really don't see anything too magical when you compare it to what one session of exercise does. Interesting. Is um, the, uh, the the benefits of um, autophagy and exercise, because something that I'm asked a lot or, or, and people sort of debate is, is there any health markers uh, that that, that would sort of slow it down. I know that I think it may have even been an article that you wrote saying that there seems to be an absence of autophagy when you're not exercising at all. Um, my question is if you're say really overweight and what would you, one would perceive as unhealthy, if you exercise, do you still get those benefits? Uh, or is there any time when the body is, uh, you know, sort of out of, uh, uh, in poor health that would, would prevent it from occurring? Well, autophagy is occurring in all systems of the body at all times. What fasting or time-restricted eating, let, let's just call it fasting, is promoted to do for autophagy is that it can spend your energy and your, and, and your physiological systems to health and repair. So it is happening all the time. Bones turning over, muscles turning over, organs are turning over. It's happening 24-7. So what fasting does is it stops the influx of energy and then your body then shifts and ramps up because it's now got the energy to do so and the attention to do so to this cellular repair process. Research shows that those people who are physically fit and regular exercises, when they stop eating, actually upplay autophagy better. So any way that you look at it, autophagy is upregulated to a higher degree in those people who are physically fit and those people who exercise. Now, the question that you ask is if you are untrained, unfit, overweight, and potentially have metabolic disorders, would you get benefit from time-restricted eating and so forth? Now, from time-restricted eating for autophagy, probably not. It just takes too many days of fasting to actually see what we see in the animal studies. If you were to add exercise, and time-restricted eating, would we see benefit? In autophagy, again, probably not. In other metabolic pathways, definitely. So I think we're sometimes a little bit too focused on autophagy as the be-all and end-all, when health is, is so many different related fields. And don't forget that one session of exercise will upregulate your, your ability to, to metabolize glucose, to use fat as a fuel source, lower blood pressure, so on and so forth. It, it talks to so many different disciplines. So that's why I think it's an exercise first as an option for health, as opposed to not having food and then hoping that autophagy is upregulated. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What, what are your thoughts on um, the use of uh, time-restricted eating for other um, sort of health benefit, metabol metabolic um, benefits like um, metabolic flexibility, for instance, things like that? Mm -hmm. Do you think that it has a place there or would you say that just undulating between high carbohydrate and, and uh, low fat and lo uh, low mm -hmm. carbohydrate, high fat, vice versa days would do to have the same effect? Yeah. So metabolic flexibility refers to our ability as humans to switch the fuels that we use for metabolism. So when we have a meal and that meal has carbohydrates, the body can efficiently burn, use and store the carbohydrate as glycogen in the liver and muscle. And then in between meals, then go quickly back to using fat as a substrate for use. 
Now it's been demonstrated with those people who are overweight, who've got metabolic disorders like metabolic syndrome, that they can't burn carbohydrate efficiently. So insulin goes sky high. And then in between meals, they can't burn fat efficiently as well. And there's some very elegant studies that have looked at elite cyclists versus fit cyclists versus those people who've got metabolic syndrome. And the metabolic syndrome folk can't burn carbs well, can't burn fat well, and partition their energy all incorrectly. So that's really interesting data that we should be trying to promote metabolic flexibility. And there are a number of proposals for how we can best do that. And time-restricted eating is one of these, and that is we have an eating window of about eight hours, and then we have a fasting period of about 16 hours. And that idea is that during the eating period, your body is exposed to carbohydrates and we have to use those efficiently. And then in the 16 hour fast, then the body is then pushed to burn fat as a fuel source. There are now dozens of studies that have looked at time-restricted eating with humans, because all the early studies again came from animals. The health benefits versus normal exposure to food seem to be minor, not, not as magical as it appears in the animal study. So we need to be careful what studies that we're looking for when we're basing our conclusions. Again, when you add an exercise stimulus, of which there's only a handful of studies that have used weight training as an exercise stimulus, from last count, there's only four studies. Out of all the studies that have been done on time-restricted eating, actually had an anabolic stimulus of weight training, shows that it'll either have a neutral effect on muscle or maybe a slight beneficial effect. And that could just be due to the amount of protein that was consumed. So time-restricted eating by itself is a great strategy for those people who find themselves overeating and exposed to food all the time and eat first thing in the morning and last thing at night before they go to bed and potentially struggle with that after-dinner period where they have more alcohol and have desserts and then something before they go to bed. Now, in that respect, time-restricted eating is compressing that eating window so that you have less access to food. Now, that's a good thing. But as we just said before to Phil, if you're now a trained athlete, it doesn't make sense to, to bring that, compress that eating window because you want to eat to refuel for your next training session so you can have an effective week and then an effective block of training. So we have to distinguish between who the advice is applicable to and what are the pluses and downside versus those people who are very physically active. So I don't think time-restricted eating is a good option for those people who are physically trained or athletes. I think it's most appropriate to those people who are overweight, have metabolic disorders, or have an issue with overeating at various times of the day. Yeah, I was going to say the like the behavioral side, the kind of psychology side of it, I think is one that's really interesting where mm. there are certain people who are so good mm. at living in the gray area of doing like, you know, eating a little bit often and, and all of that. But I know mm. that for myself, even though I'm, I'm very committed to training and I'm, you know, I know kind of a lot of what, what to do, I still find that I find it hard to turn the off switch on off if I'm, you know, mm. if I start eating and then mm. I'll often kind of overeat on mm. kind of days that I'm, you know, not training mm. as much as so I find yeah. for me personally, like the, just that, either black or white you're eating or not eating was very helpful for me when I was like wanting to lose a bit of weight and I wasn't training nearly as much but for other people like I know Rad you're such a disciplined person when you put your mind to something you're so good at like having a bit and then putting it away and then <laughs> having it more so I think that kind of personalization kind of comes down to the exercise but also like what works for the human as a like as a mm. as a, an emotional brain as well so that's my 
mm. as not a nutritionist. I don't know, from personal experience, that's what I've found. What I've found, my, my personal experience, and I've learned so much from just listening to Tony uh, talk there. I, I, love, uh, I love asking Tony questions like this because um, not only to hear uh, the opinion from somebody who is as well read as you are, Tony, um, but just somebody who I trust, which, which is awesome. So I'm going to have to um, absorb a lot of that. But for me personally, um, my experience with time-restricted eating was that it was very, very powerful in untethering my need for food all the time. And because I am somebody mm -hmm. that generally, most of the time, I train a lot more than the average person. Um, most months out of the year, um, I would train five or six days a week, um, one or two times a day for anywhere from one and a half to two and a half hours per training session. And that's not, people hear that and they think, oh my God, that's insane. A lot of that might be um, just really light movement training, but it is movement, it is burning mm. calories. Mm. And, um, mm. but I don't do that all the time. I, like anybody, I think I have periods of time where maybe I don't train for a week or sometimes two weeks if, if there's a lot going on in my life. And what time-restricted eating has done for me that's been really beneficial is that I can very quickly switch from eating, you know, um, 3,000 calories a day or 4,000 calories a day down to, um, you know, 1,500 calories a day or, or 2,500 calories a day so that I, because if I don't, at my age now at 43, I, I do notice that I start to um, uh, feel, feel it a little bit more around my uh, waistline. So it's been good for me for that. Um, but yeah, that's been uh, that's been awesome. It's been really insightful to hear your your opinion on on autophagy and time restricted eating and fasting. I've got I've got one more question on this topic. Uh, it's a slight segue from the original question, but it's certainly related. Is to get your um, stance on or what you've seen r most recently. I got, I went very deep down the rabbit hole of Dr. Sachin Panda's um, research on this when he was doing a lot of the research on animals. Um, oh God, I think like 2016, 17, 18. It was years ago, uh, and 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 sort of the the idea his ideas around circadian rhythm and and uh, and the fact that your your um, you know, your gut bacteria and, and your digestive enzymes were diurnal um, and, and reactive to, to the light and, and, and food and xenobiotics and things like that. Um, uh, and and his, his sort of conclusions that we should be, you know, um, consuming our, our calories through food and, and drink during the period of time that was best suited to, to the digestive system. Uh, what's your take on that? And does that, um, has that been sort of debunked or is it, um, is it still worth following? So the, the concept no, of it's certainly... diurnal, um, you know, um, yeah. circadian, uh, health. Mm. Yeah. Sachin Panda certainly shifted his research attention from animals and pure time restricted eating to looking at circadian biology because they're all part of the same sentence and understanding. And there's no debunking of that at all. And it actually is supported by the time-restricted eating studies that have compared eating earlier in the day compared to eating later in the day. And the results are always better when we shift our exposure to food to the periods of time where we're most active. So in the earlier hours of the day or around the training time. And that's why the data is always better for early time-restricted eating as opposed to later. So for, for many people, time-restricted eating is skipping breakfast and having a big lunch and an even bigger dinner and then going straight to bed. 
That was never how it was envisaged, and it's certainly not where the data shows the benefits of time-restricted eating. And that is you have a, a bigger breakfast and then a smaller lunch and then a really early but very small dinner. And that coincides with the periods of time where our metabolism is most active with the light and dark cycles. And many of the hormones, insulin in particular, it antagonizes our sleeping hormone melatonin. So we want food in our system and insulin to be low at night so melatonin can be high, so we have great sleep architecture. So Yanni, there's a lot to say for shifting the calories earlier in the day. So we can call that early time restricted eating, or we could just say, try and eat more of your food earlier in the day, but it really is the same topic. Yeah, I actually, um, my recent personal experimentation has shifted to what you just said there, Tony. Um, funnily enough, after I watched a, a video from a, a Buddhist monk in Thailand where he was talking about a morning routine that Buddhist monks use, and the part that I really took home uh, from it was when he said that for us, our morning routine starts the night before when we have a very, very small meal for dinner and it's mm. never mm. later than 5 p.m. Often it's about at about 3 p.m. And, um, and the reason why they do that is just that it gives them a better sleep. And of course, yeah. it just made sense straight away when I heard that. And I, and I shifted from the example that you gave before where my time restricted eating was no breakfast, big lunch, bigger dinner. Uh, and I was getting shocking mm -hmm. sleep uh, like that. Mm -hmm. And I did feel, you know, certain benefits being more alert during the morning, um, you know, whatever anecdotal, uh, you know, feelings I was getting from it. But when I did, uh, when I started playing around with um, eating no later than somewhere between 3 and 5 p.m. and a smaller meal, immediate mm -hmm. better sleep. Immediately mm -hmm. uh, yep. my sleep quality was improved and uh, and I enjoyed having a big breakfast again just before I went and used all the energy. Yeah, yeah the, and the data really supports that for sleep quality and sleep architecture. And it takes us back to that earlier point about metabolic flexibility. When you wake up in the morning after having a small dinner hours before bed, your body is now predisposed to fat metabolism. So if you did... 20, 40, 60 minutes of some low intensity cardio, then you are massively upregulating your fat enzymes in muscle and those fat transporters, and you become very efficient at using fat as a substrate. And then you eat and you break that fast and then the body is exposed to carbohydrates. When you lift weights or do intervals or something later in the day, then you're teaching your body to use carbohydrate as a substrate and you get all of those enzyme pathways in the muscle. And so you get the best of both worlds. And that's why I think metabolic flexibility, it's an exercise term. It's not a fasting term. So if you exercise in both states, before breakfast, after breakfast, and you do exercise that suits the substrate, so low intensity, steady state work for fat metabolism, and then high intensity weight training or interval training, which is all carb dependent pathways, then you will become metabolically flexible and you'll do so with all of the health benefits as opposed to maybe getting it by time-restricted eating or fasting. Now, just quickly before we do wrap this conversation up, I think it'd be worthwhile just talking a bit about what goes wrong if you do get into that um, imbalance of energy in versus energy out because there's um, it's something that people have probably heard of before with the female athlete triad um, in the past, which was the idea that um, basically with uh, 
the likelihood of osteoporosis long-term uh, amenorrhea, so period stopping and um, eating disorders. But it's kind of more recently um, started to be expanded to in involve men as well because there's some real issues with, with both men and women having this. And the term uh, REDS or RED-S is this idea of relative energy deficiency syndrome. Um, I think it's just important to highlight like there is you know, it, it can be like a, you know, a short-term thing, you, you're going to be really hungry and your training is going to suffer. But if you do kind of push through this and um, really get into a state of um, not getting your energy input and energy output in balance, then that can have long-term effects for, um, yeah, overall health, which is, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's probably a bigger discussion to go into all of <laughs> kind of reds. But yeah, I just wanted to point out that it, it is more than just, you know, you're going to be hungry for a couple of days. It's, there's some real, um, yeah, detrimental health um, outcomes. Yeah, that's something that I've looked at and has interested me. I mentioned this the other day. I'm um, heavily into mixed martial arts and, and they're seeing a massive increase in bone fractures uh, in, in the men who are cutting weight a lot and, and, and having to drop um, that are moving around different weight divisions. So it's really punishing on the body's metabolism and, and obviously um, creating deficiencies that I think are going to go a lot deeper than what look uh, just sort of superficially like just a, a, a collision fracture or something like that. You know, they're all ending up with, um, with hollow bones, <laughs> mm. but that's going to open up a huge conversation. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's wrap that one up. That was a, that was a great talk, Tony, and it was really good uh, to have you on the podcast and to, uh, to connect again and, and, and just have a, have a chat. So thanks for, thanks so much for coming, uh, for coming on the show, Tony. Um, My pleasure, guys. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. You're absolutely welcome. We look forward to having you again in the future. So for those listening who'd like to connect with Tony, Tony can be found on Twitter at Tony Bataji, T-O-N-Y-B-O-U-T-A-G-Y. Uh, for interesting articles he's read, or you can check him out on Instagram at Tony Bataji for more training-related information. And remember, if you want to uh, step up your game, especially if you're a fitness coach, uh, you can enroll in any of Tony's courses at TonyBataji.com. And Yanni, Richard, and I could not recommend them uh, highly enough. They have been game changers for us. And uh, if you're a serious coach and you want to up your game, highly recommend. What, one thing I want to add on that, which I really, really haven't seen uh, much in the industry because I've been back to do your uh, uh, the same course a number of times. And the best thing about Tony's courses is he updates the information constantly so yeah. that you can go one year from the next. And if the research has changed, like what we've discussed just now, uh, he will have updated the course curriculum. Mm. And that's rare because a lot of Very people rare. invest a lot of time and front load the course curriculum and then it stays the same for a decade. And I think that that's really, really important to acknowledge um, because you can go back and do um, the, the, the uh, level level one, level two, level three. And I know you've broken it up um, a lot since, uh, since we uh, did the courses last, Tony, and you're doing um, more niche topics and all sorts of really great stuff. But even just the program design courses, uh, uh, the fat loss and hypertrophy courses, they're updating constantly. And that's what I love about it. So definitely check him out, TonyBataji.com. And we'll have you back on the show soon. Yeah, thanks, Tony. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, guys. Thank you. And awesome. we're out. Awesome. We're out. How long was that? Uh, 30 uh, something minutes. Yeah, that's good. Perfect. 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 That Perfect. was great, Tony. Unreal. Do you Would you want to have a, a, a minute or two break before we go into the next topic? Or are you ready to roll? No, I'm good, guys. I'm good.
So what's our next uh, topic? This Yanni next one I think is going to be the funnest to discuss. Uh, How does really... exercise affect your sex drive and libido? And libido, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that's, a, that's a great one. Uh, and what, it's easy to tie in Red S with that topic because exercise has an effect on skeletal muscle, which transiently increases testosterone. But over the long term, if you're in energy deficit, then your testosterone drops and your sex drive drops. So it would be worth discussing both of those in that context of energy deficiency or balance in exercise. Perfect. Absolutely. Sounds good.